Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. There's a hoop ball presentation, so make sure to check out hoop ball on Twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop dash ball.com season started fancy basketball's underway we got team podcasts we got yours truly on the beat everything going on for y'all so definitely make sure to check out the nba content that we got literally pumping out every single day speaking of basketball content today i am happy joined by my good friend uh basketball just savant movie buff i can go on and on but he is known by two names his first and his last at Garrett Bouguet, Mr. Garrett Bouguet. You can find him on Twitter, as I just said, at Garrett Bouguet, host of the Duncan Dynasty podcast, which I'm proud to be a part of. Garrett, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm I'm doing great, Corbin. You know, the uh, the season is just a little under a week old or and, uh, you know, a little under a week old. And uh, I've been I've been watching about two or three games every day. And it's it's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, man. I, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And it's weird because it felt like it came so fast, but like being able to know there's good, there's good basketball. Cause it's been a great week in terms of games, but being able to know this basketball on like every day, this is, I mean, this is, it's been, it's been fun. I have really, really truly enjoyed it. So I am um, pumped to kind of talk about it with you here. I mean, like you said, we're just a little bit of a week old now. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be a week and we've had some, monster games some great performances some you know weird duds some slow starts uh, all the superlatives i can throw out there we've had so i kind of want to start what, what do you where do you want to go first off in terms of what have been like your kind of overall kind of looks at the season then we'll kind of go in from there yeah i mean we've had some we've had some really fun games i mean the the opening night for i guess for most of the league on on wednesday where you had that amazing double overtime game between the Celtics and Knicks. And uh, then of course, both those teams, I'm sure exhausted uh, in their following game got blown out. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the um, there, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of interesting performances, a lot of, a lot of teams that I'm, uh, you know, been, been pleasantly surprised by. And then also a couple that I'm, I'm slightly concerned about after a few games. You know, so we're going to, this is how we're going to do it here today. I, I, I thrive on positivity. You know this, Garrett. So we're going to get the bad stuff and specifically Russell Westbrook out the way. I know he's on your list. So let's talk about the Lakers and Russ first. Um, and then we'll go from there to much more happier pastures, hopefully. Um, but what have, you, what have you thought about? I just noticed this ESP I have with you, man. What do we know about, what do we feel about the Lakers and their start so far? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that first game against the Warriors, you know, they, they competed well. It was a close game down the stretch. But, uh, you know, despite the fact that it was close, I, I was watching that game and thinking, man, not only did LeBron James and Anthony Davis play great, but they played great mostly through shooting the ball pretty well. And you're thinking, in a game where both of those guys shoot it well and, and play well, and the Lakers still, you know, uh, still end up losing to Golden State, who, you know, they look pretty good themselves. But, but still, it's it's uh, it's very concerning. And of course, the Lakers have some have some missing pieces. They're going to get back Taylor Horton Tucker and Trevor Ariza at some point in the year. Uh, but uh, you know, when when your two best players both play really well, and you still you still fall short. 
that's uh, that's a little bit concerning. And and yeah, all of the things that uh, I worried about heading into the year with the lack of spacing with Westbrook out there, with them starting DeAndre Jordan, who is not a starting caliber player anymore. Uh, you know, all of those things seem to be a, a genuine concern. And Frank Vogel, who has been able to build this great defensive culture there in L.A., it's starting to seemingly crumble a little bit with the likes of Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk coming off the bench. And you're seeing more breakdowns. And, you know, the more breakdowns this team has, you start to notice LeBron getting frustrated defensively. And then he's missing rotations. So there's, uh, there's issues just about everywhere with this team. It's, uh, you know, I would say if I had to rate on a scale of one to 10, my concern, it's probably around a seven or an eight at this point. Wow. I mean, that's okay, Garrett. I mean, I don't consider that necessarily a hot take, but I'm definitely a lot more um, reserved about it than you are for sure. I think that a lot of it for me first, just acknowledge that everything you said has been pretty much correct. I'm um, concerned just the Lakers defense, lack of spacing, all, all of that to be, to be sure. I think one thing I'm a little more, um, I, I guess a little more bullish on is the fact that they have experienced so many injuries to guys who would normally be playing ahead of them. You know, like Malik Monk, for example, and Carmelo, although Carmelo has been great offensive this season and defensively, I like the way Vogel's trying to help with traps and such to kind of get um, Carmelo kind of uh, away from being picked on constantly. But like, let's be real. Like I think yesterday Melo played or two days ago at this point, Melo played, 29 minutes like that's probably not gonna happen it's probably gonna be between 15 and 20 minutes you know Malik Monk playing as much as he is normally you'd have THT or Trevor Reza over there you know Ken Bazemore having to stick the best perimeter guy mind you he'd probably still have to stick the best perimeter like guard type player but if you're looking about going up it would be more Trevor Reza so I think that the injuries have been a lot more of an impact on the Lakers than people are giving credit or, or giving acknowledgement for because it is literally throwing rotations out of whack I mean I don't even realize if the DJ is probably the least forgivable for me of uh, the DJ starting uh, for Frank Vogel. But even that you could say in some ways impacted by the lack of bodies on the floor and just how best to deploy them or the lack of available bodies on the floor um, and not having AD play the five, the entire juncture. Cause that would be the next best option because if you start Dwight Howard, he is a foul magnet. So you might as well just bring AD. So that's my thing there. As far as Russell, I, I am a little bit concerned a little more than I, I think I thought I would be, but I think it's just because I'm used to, I think it's because I'm just getting back to used to Russ being on four different teams in four different years and having rough starts in pretty much every year outside the last one OKC. Like each year is like an acclimation process for him. And just when you're like, oh, the same ugly words kind of rear their head in terms of lack of shooting and lack of physical defense. And then he sort of wakes up and it somehow works itself out. You know, the shooting doesn't get a whole lot better, but he is still an effective basketball player. I think right now it's additional pressure on his part. I feel like he is going back and forth between being overly passive and then like, just crazy aggressive when he probably shouldn't be and that that flow is throwing off the Lakers or throwing off himself it's impacting Lakers in terms of how he's trying to play but I did see encouraging signs in their last game against the Grizzlies especially especially um passing in the interior finding AD and, and um DeAndre Jordan repeatedly on the inside for dunks and then down the stretch of games I love that um Frank Vogel had LeBron and Russ do that one three pick and roll it, it really kind of helped give Russ something to do outside of you know just spotting up where no one's really regarding him as a shooter um and it also gave him the ability to make a play on the floor dive into the basket and he ended up hooking up AD for a couple of, of nice finishes I do think that his finishing around the rim has to be better because there's been some misses there but I'm not 
overly concerned just yet. I think there's a soft stretch coming up between, you know, well, the Spurs isn't exactly how I start that, but the Spurs, um, as well as, um, you know, the Thunder a couple times, the Rockets a couple times. I'm sure those games are going to be interesting just because these Lakers are brand spanking new. At the same time, I do think that they'll get some wins out of them and get some sort of cohesiveness. So I, I'm not a seven or eight as you. I'm maybe a five or a six because like they're, the blueprint of, Russ getting better and the Lakers kind of resolving their issues is kind of on one hand, just players getting healthier and Russ getting more comfortable. On the other hand, those players don't get healthier and another batch drop down to injury. And then Russ just never gets it together. So of course I'm going to choose the glass half full side. Um, But yeah, that's, that's where I'm going right now. I think that the shooting also has been, I don't want to say unsustainably hot because like, for example, LeBron James is like what a 30, four 35 career three-point shooter but like he i think has definitely worked on that three-point shot as a way to possibly combat his you know decreasing athleticism because he is definitely looking for it more he's knocking it down with confidence i think he's taken over the last three games he's made no less than four threes he's taken no more than 11 like he is in that sweet spot of efficiency i do expect that to dip but i do like the fact that he has that confidence in the jump shot um in a way to start the season that i haven't seen in a while yeah, you brought up a, a couple of great points there. And in regards to Russ, of course, I think as as time goes on, the uh, the team and then Frank Vogel will figure out better ways to utilize him. You already brought up the one, three pick and roll type actions just to keep him activated, keep him on the ball as opposed to just standing in the corner where he provides, you know, frankly, negative value. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, your comment, though, about his finishing, uh, his finishing struggles is, is apt because yeah, we we've seen it various times in his career where he just doesn't look quite as explosive with getting to getting to the rim, or I guess I, I shouldn't say getting to the rim, but finishing at the rim. And uh, if, if, if his struggles at the basket continue, that's, that's a big problem. And that's something that maybe you, you should expect a little bit as he gets older is that, that uh, ability to, um, you know, not get to the basket, but be able to finish once he gets there to decline a bit. And if that's, if that's something that's going to continue, that's obviously a concern. And then you brought up LeBron James relying on the jump shot. And that's been something that, uh, you know, slowly but surely has, you know, you, you, you notice with LeBron where he, uh, you know, in, in his early days in Cleveland, he was just constantly getting to the basket, getting all the way right to the rim, finishing, and, you know, as the years have gone on, particularly, you know, in his Lakers days, you've seen him relying more on the jumper, relying more on the post game, relying more on that. He'll get in, he'll get two feet in the paint, but then kind of go more for a little, uh, a little step back or fall away jumper. And the, the issue with that, not only, you know, with a team with LeBron, Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, they're going to, to be a good offense, they're going to have to rely on those guys finishing around the basket. But if Russ and LeBron are getting there as often, and it's, uh, you know, a little bit jam packed in there because of not uh, ideal spacing, that, that is a, that is a serious issue. And again, LeBron, he should be just, you know, kind of doing what Magic Johnson did at the late stage of his career, where just relying on the post-up game because he's so strong and he's such an amazing passer. But the spacing on this team kind of limits his ability to to uh, to utilize possessions in the post. I will agree. Um, I think that we've seen that. I, I like the fact that his jump shot has been, at the very least, he's become a lot more dangerous of a shooter. He's always kind of had the jump shot, but just in that way. But you're right, it is, it's kind of taking down his weapons down to 
just really the outside shot and the occasional forays to the basket because spacing has been tight. Uh, I think a lot of that, w- one way of just throwing that out is just taking out DeAndre Jordan, you know? Um, again, I think if you had a Trevor Ariza, then you start D at the five and we wouldn't have this issue, you know? Um, because then the, the moments where you would have play between Jordan and, and or Dwight Howard, either or, would be kind of staggered uh, with, a you know, LeBron or Russ, where it's a lot more manageable with only one on the floor and then the rest of the team being shooters. Well, that is Austin Reeves, who's played amazing. You know, he's becoming the new uh, Alex Caruso in terms of just amazing plus minus alongside LeBron. Or if that's Malik Monk, who, you know, defensively has been pretty bad, but um, two nights ago had a really good game. And his shooting's been solid. Or Mello, who, you know, his hands have been pretty quick. We know what he is athletically. We know how his feet are, are not not even the fleece of foot. They're just not fleet at all. But, like, his offensive game has been really solid. And he's given at least a little bit of spacing, especially if he's been in crunch lines, where teams have to respect the fact that if he's shooting, you at least want to close out to him because he has been shooting at a torrid pace. And I, I have definitely enjoyed seeing that from him. But uh, all that to say that something does need to change soon. If they don't make an adjustment, on having starting DeAndre Jordan or starting Dwight Howard um, and not opening up the floor a little bit more, then you are going to sap LeBron's effectiveness. He's still going to be effective because LeBron James. It's going to be harder for him to generate those offense unless he's content to knock down to take, you know, 11, 12 threes a night. And I'm sure he can over a stretch, but that's just not really his game. I'm not saying he can't adapt to it, but that's just not his game. So I do, I do worry about that moving forward if everyone's healthy and he continues this way. And of course, I'm referring to Frank Vogel. But if not, then I, I mean, I look at this as like just a necessity, you know? Yeah. Well, not a necessity. It, I look at this as um, a horrible wording. I don't know what I just said, Garrett. I look at this as this having, this is necessary. There you go. That's a necessity. Necessary. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating moving forward. I think like one of the things that's so weird about this Lakers team and you know especially when we get to the playoffs you know assuming they assuming they get there which is not guaranteed whoa whoa. (laughs) don't slander them now we're a playoff contender but uh you know matchup wise this version of LeBron who again is not quite as quick and not quite as explosive with that first step as it used to be you can put more of I think big guys on him Uh, And then you can also put a little bit of smaller guys on him with those lineups where they've got Russ and DJ, because you could double him in the post and, you know, not get punished too, too badly. Uh, So, and then obviously Russell Westbrook teams have, have shown in the past that they can experiment putting a big on him at times and to try and muck things up. So that's, that's another issue that this Lakers team is going to have to figure out offensively not only in in the regular season, but uh, especially when a team can really strategize and, and, and experiment a little bit is just like, you know, how are we going to take advantage of, of particular matchups? Yeah, I agree. I think that you want to have a position where the Lakers can optimize LeBron in a spread floor. If you are going to have Russ or a big, I don't think you can have both alongside LeBron, but if you're going to have one of those two, then I think you do that pick and roll and have a mellow, you know, on, on the weak side or have a Austin Reeves or a Malik Monk. I think the Lakers found success in crunch time against the Grizzlies doing just that, you know, um, being able to isolate Westbrook, not being able to key in on LeBron because they give it to Westbrook. Like, yeah, he, in, in certain situations, he is not the best decision maker, but at the same time, he is a great passer. Uh, I think underrated how good of a passer he can be. And if you give him a decision where it's okay, you go into the rim with a head of steam, either pass the ball or convert, 
I, I, I trust his chances there. So I just think that that's something where you just have to put the LeBron in a, in a position to best succeed. He'll make it work regardless, but you want to obviously make it easier for him. I don't think Lakers are doing that as of now, but I think that there is a pathway to success there with this current roster to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. They, um, you know, I'm, I'm not counting them out. Obviously we shouldn't make any wild proclamations after a couple of games, but <laughs> no, yeah, not at they, all. Um, they're, they're certainly all of the things that I was concerned about going in have, have been evident in the first couple of games. So, you know, that's, that's typically when I, I give a little more credence to, to certain things that I'm seeing when I kind of predicted <laughs> what, what I, uh, what I'm seeing now mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. I get you. Exactly. It's a little bit, not validation in that way, but you had suspected it. And so far early returns are, are, are more to that effect. I definitely agree. But um, yeah, aside from that, I had to get the, the negative out. What, what else have you enjoyed? Um, What have you uh, kind of seen from this season based off of, you know, the, the, just the vast rook you put in, in terms of trying to kind of understand how the season might turn out. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've got a couple of individual players that I've been impressed with that I, I can bring up here. Let's do it. Uh, a guy that I was, I believe, higher on you as far as the, the this uh, this current draft class, and, and Scotty Barnes has been very impressive so far. Yeah, I've definitely been impressed by him. Um, just in terms of being this like pseudo point guard, freak centerish kind of lineup uh, unlocker for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I mean, he's he's shown a little bit uh, more comfortability shooting the the mid-range jumper. The three ball hasn't gotten there yet. He's still got a ways to go there. But just the ability with you know, defenders laying, him off, laying off him three or four feet to just be able to step in and, and hit that jumper is big. I've also really liked his uh, just his uh, understanding of the game. You've seen him run some dribble handoffs where he fakes the handoff, gets in and dunks. And he's been very explosive around the rim, not only rebounding, but getting dunks and, and uh, just making plays around the basket. And, you know, all of those sort of intangibles, those things that everyone loved about him coming into the draft have, have, uh, have shown. And he's just, uh, he, he's already to me a guy that is a winning player and he's made this Raptors team, despite, you know, them, they're not off to the greatest start without Siakam, but they've been a, uh, a reasonably competitive basketball team so far. And in large part because of him, because you could argue he's been their best player. Yeah, I agree. His energy, his effort has been there defensively. You see what he does, his hustle. Um, I, I wasn't the highest of him selected there. I still am not ready quite yet to throw everything like to, to say, oh, yeah, it's clearly off. You know what I mean? Um, I have seen some very hot Scotty Barnes takes both for and against him on Twitter, um, mostly in comparison to like, you know, who people thought would have been drafted at that four spot, Jalen Suggs. I'm not willing to go out on that limb just yet. I saved my hotter takes for a lot more unreasonable outcomes. However, um, I do like that he's immediately been a jolt for Toronto, like you said, a winning basketball player. And then sometimes that's just the intangibles, you know, that's just being around and instilling a culture that leads to that. Whether or not it's immediate, you know that the groundwork is there for that. And I think Toronto is starting to figure that out with um, Barnes. Again, a lot of it is uh, a kind of wait and see until we see Siakam. And Barnes, I don't think, is that player that could be like, oh, we don't need Siakam, we got Scotty Barnes. He's not that guy, I don't think. But in the meantime, I think that he's being competitive enough to keep them in these games and 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 for a rookie that's impressive when we were talking about the lakers earlier and their first opponent the warriors they've got a guy that i've been really impressed by a, an off-season acquisition nemanja bialica i think has been an excellent fit in golden state 
Yeah, I mean, I've been impressed. He's been actually a little bit of a, a topic of ire on Twitter. Um, I've just been aware of some uh, prominent NBA folks talking about his effectiveness before Sacramento, after um, Sacramento, his stint in Miami. And, you know, you have a big who can shoot the ball, but also has some underrated passing and ball handling chops. You bring him to the Warrior system that kind of empowers you in that way. And you see a guy in Bielitsa who was doing this for his career before the NBA is suddenly encouraged to go back to that. And you have positive results. Yeah, I think with the the issue with Miami is with him was just that you know they've got a cramped cramped floor on that team. They don't have a ton of shooting, and I, you know I think Miami's thought was well, Bielitsa can shoot, so that's his best skill. That's what we'll use from him. But when you think about it, you know this guy was a former Euroleague MVP. He's got the ability. You know he's not a he's not a quick player. He's not a great athlete but he's very, very skilled. And I would argue his best skill as a player is being a 6'10 guy that can put the ball on the floor and make decisions. And the Warriors have said, okay, we're bringing this guy in because that's his best skill. And that's exactly what this team needs. He's great, not only because he gives the Warriors some, some playmaking with the, in the second unit that they desperately needed, but also I think he's been a great fit with Draymond Green, you know, when, when teams, mm-hmm. put, uh, they, they try to avoid putting, um, you know, one of their weaker big man defenders on Green because Green can pick them apart. But now, you know, if you've got Green and Bielitsa out there, there's nowhere for these players to hide. And the Warriors can just pick and choose who they want setting the screen, depending on the matchup. And it's, it's worked out brilliantly. And I think a lot of that, you're right, it, it, it is because you have multiple playmakers who can, you know, uh, just kind of not only distribute and, and create for themselves and others, but you also have just a supernova in Steph Curry right now, who is just like, make, I mean, they already look very good, but he's making all the other pieces pop in a way. Because, again, like you broke down so eloquently, you got these guys that are multifaceted in, in, in a way that um, empowers just the overall unit and then definitely makes it hard for a picker poison when you have capable ball handlers and shooters across the floor and you have one of the greatest ball handlers and shooters ever flying around screens. And then speaking of another ex Miami heat player, like Andre Guadalla looks like he's, uh, you know, he's good again. Let me ask you, were you surprised by that development? Yes. Um, You know, he he looked at times a a little bit washed last year, but again, I think in part that could just be the, the role that he was playing in Miami. Uh, Just again, the heat sort of had him just be a guy that stood in the corner and that's not, that's not Andre Iguodala's strength. And in golden state where he's obviously very comfortable, knows, knows the players there, the system there. Uh, he's got his hands on the ball more. He's moving more. And all of that also has allowed him to be a better shooter when he gets those opportunities. Yeah, it definitely does. And he's someone who's, it's like going back in a familiar bed or, you know, a, a pool that you had left, but you get in for a second. It's like going right back at home. Like I was a little bit concerned as far as athleticism sapping, maybe more last year. But I also realized that like Andre Godala at this point of his career for the last like six, seven years has been like, the warrior system like he has been like a hand and glove fit for that system and i just didn't see him on another team that he would have quite the same impact i wanted to go to lakers when he first was available and even i was like i don't know if if his talents would would register in that way you know what i mean it's just a different unique system with a unique set of players and players we spent the better part of a decade with even at an advanced age for him you know in terms of the type of player he was 
kind of having to be in, in this warrior system. I mean, he knows every, you know, the shortcuts, the, the plan B's and C's. He's not having to create too much um, more than he was, let's say, in Miami, you know, where it is like a different system. And he's playing basketball, but again, it's different than here where, I mean, it's like riding a bike again. Yeah, and, and I think the combination of him and, and Bielitz is a good one, too, because, you know, mm-hmm. that shooting at the five allows you to play, you know, not not that Iguodala is a non-shooter. He, he's actually uh, – he shot the ball really well in that Lakers game. But yep. uh, having him as, like, you know, your your weakest shooter on the floor because you've got that stretch five uh, makes makes a, makes a big difference in terms of your team's overall spacing. But, but yeah, he's been impressive. Should I, uh, you know, I've got a couple of more guys, Corbin, that I've been impressed with, but should I go more on the negative side since we haven't touched into too, touched on too many of those yet? Yeah, let's let's do that. All right, so Jason Kidd and the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> you know, I'm a go. Listen, Garrett, the floor is yours, sir. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I I I've watched I watched most of that uh, that miserable performance against uh, the Atlanta Hawks, mm-hmm. which again uh, you got to give credit to Atlanta. They looked great in that game, but Dallas looked awful. And then I watched a good chunk of of the Mavericks win against Toronto, but even that I wasn't overly impressed with Dallas's offensive play. Uh, you know, it's a lot of playing Dwight Powell and, and Willie Cauley Stein. So they constantly have a non-shooter on the floor where I think last year, Rick Carlisle was like, well, we've got Luka Doncic, who's great to great at getting to the rim. Let's play a lot of, you know, five out lineups. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really effective. And kid is basically said, we're, we're going to, we're going to do that maybe 12 minutes a game. <laughs> um, Let's take so, what works and cut that in half. Yeah. That's uh, that's, that's pretty frustrating. Uh, and then, you know, also kid has, has said that he doesn't want Luka Doncic to have the ball as much in his hands. And, and you've seen them just run possessions where they throw it to Christos Porzingis at 15 feet. I, I felt, uh, I, I didn't do this, but I, I felt like I should have tweeted out that whole, what was it a year or two ago where a reporter asked Rick Carlisle, why aren't you posting up Porzingis? And Carlisle said, well, it's because it's averaging like 0.6 points per possession. Yeah. Um, but like, I feel like Jason Kidd needs to hear that video, um, or, or see that video, I should say. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just looked ugly. There hasn't been quite as much flow, uh, with that offense. And I, I know it's early and they can iron some stuff out, but the, the, uh, the early, the early signs are not great. No, I, I thought that if anything was to be changed, it would be maybe, you know, being more, I don't know. I, I, I... I don't know what I expected Jason Kidd to change for the Mavericks because what I thought the Mavericks needed was like, yeah, I, I guess better defense. Their defense is pretty solid, but I like their offense. Just having another a, like offensive creator outside of Luka was what I thought was the biggest thing. I didn't think you need to overhaul anything they were doing. If anything, take some pressure off of Luka for sure. But like, again, I, I didn't think that a coach needed to come in and, and drastically, you know, overhaul everything um so i get a new coach trying to put their imprint on the team i mean that's many a trap for many a coaches but um it, it was just i don't know i i i get all of the kind of flack against kid both before being hired of course and then being hired and since then i just don't know what was expected and i'm also not surprised like 
he was going to make something drastic. They didn't make the change they needed to improve. So I figured that they would be pretty much the exact same anyway. I mean, you're again, looking to close uh, uh, like crunch on possessions that Luca is off, off the courts. We're talking like ends of halves or whatever with a lot of your plays being done by Jalen Brunson. I like Jalen Brunson. He's not that guy. I mean, we've seen over the last, what, two and a half, three seasons now. So I, I don't know. Basically, I, I'm not even disappointed. I'm just like mad. That's why I wasn't super high on the Mavericks to begin with. Um, because again, it's Luca doing pretty much everything. Yeah, it's uh wouldn't kid lets him. <laughs> it's frustrating because there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of lineups that I would really like to see now that they've got Reggie Bullock in there. I would have liked to have seen, you know, just a a lineup that has Bullock, Finney Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr. Luca and and Maxi Kleba. I don't know if we've gotten a single minute of of that kind of a lineup, but a lineup that can switch everything has great size across all positions. I think the shortest guy in that lineup would be like six six or six seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem like Kid is interested in that he's much more interested in playing multiple bigs and playing all of their centers. And um, that you know that that has been an issue with their roster construction for a couple of years now that they loaded up on centers for some reason even though yeah. those clearly you know the two big lineups i think have been their worst lineups in the last few years uh, but at least carlisle i think showed some restraint and said you know we're gonna we're gonna play certain we're gonna play big in certain matchups or we'll play certain guys against certain teams but we're not going to consistently throw these guys out there um, you know, to the detriment of our offense and our spacing and, and kid seems, you know, completely clueless as far as like what works in the NBA in 2021. Which is shocking because he played on a Lakers team that yes, they, they kind of doubled down some more traditional elements of basketball, but like they did adjust enough. Like nobody looks at them as our take, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't understand how you sit in that coaching like chair for two years. And then you're like, yep, this is what I drew from that. You know, like it's, it's definitely odd to me. Um, and you're right, their infatuation with centers uh, when, you know, their clear glaring need is, I don't know, not only uh, just crystal clear from the beginning of the season, but only manifests itself much more clear come postseason. I don't understand it. And that's more in the front office, I get. But at the same time, as a coach coming in, like, I think you would make that, hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is what the goal should be, not let's go back to mid-range Jays. Like, no, I just don't understand yeah, they're, that. they're clear. Their clear need is Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He looks pretty great so far, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's confusing. And you know, in previous years, I've felt like Rick Carlisle has been able to. Obviously, Luca is a top five player. I don't think too many people would 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 argue with that with that statement. Um, but you know, in previous years, I feel like Carlisle was able to elevate Luca to a certain extent. Whereas now, I feel like it's you know, Luca is just going to have to do it all himself. And he's capable of doing that. We saw him do that against Toronto uh, mm-hmm. and just kind of pull them through. But uh, it's, it's nice when a system and the complementary pieces can elevate your star player as opposed to the star player, basically just having to carry everyone on their shoulders. Exactly. And it's just, I don't know, a failure to be aware, a failure to just, pragmatically address your weaknesses and kind of move from there. And I think that's why we're going to have a very odd Dallas Maverick season. So another, another disappointing, uh, and, I, and I should say that I've only watched, uh, I only watched their first game on the opening night against 
Milwaukee, but uh, another player just looking at the statistics and everything that's been kind of disappointing so far this season has been has been James Harden. Yeah, he looks totally out of it. I mean, he's not getting lift. Uh, people are bringing up the free throw, like, you know, rules and how it's affecting him, but, like, he's not finishing well anyway when he three, gets there. Three free throw attempts a game, I believe, is what I saw, Corbin, so far. Yes, and, like, and that's crazy. You know, like, I, I, I think that he definitely should be getting more than that. At the same time, like, quite honestly, should, I, the peaks that he was getting, I don't think he should have gotten then. So I feel like it's, it's not even just that. Like, I think bringing up just the free throws is kind of doing a disservice to the way the rest of his games is kind of not there. The passing is there, but I haven't been, like, super impressed with he's been shooting the ball solid enough. You know, him and him and KD are basically driving the offense. When he gets to the rim, he's not finishing well through contact at all. It's like, okay, I'm looking for the foul call, and if I don't get it, we're missing. You know, I've seen too many possessions end with him sprawling the floor, hands waving in the air as the ball is rebounded by the other team going the opposite direction. So, like, he's just not – I don't know what it is, but it's just not there for him. Yeah, I mean, prime James Harden was consistently, you know, with that first step getting, getting you know, his whole body in front of the defender, just blowing past guys. And then, you know, that allows him to slow down and, and operate and, and use his craft Whereas now it feels like he's still, he's, I wouldn't say he has a bad first step at this point, but given his various uh, hamstring and, and muscle related strain issues that, that he's dealt with the last couple of years, it seems like that first step is not nearly as explosive. So now he's got the guy, instead of being, you know, a full step ahead of the guy, he's got him more on his hip now. And that requires then that explosion at the rim that you talked about, that it seems like he's just kind of lacking. So he's not getting the, the finishes uh, you know, the, the contested finishes to go, he's not getting completely past a guy that, which, you know, puts the defense in a position where you've either got to foul him or concede a layup. So he's not getting to those free throws and it's, you know, becoming kind of like, Oh, we're just going to rely on this step back three as the primary and mainly and only source of offense. And maybe that's, maybe that's what James Harden becomes as like he, he, he uh, gets older and, and starts to slow down. It's just, you know, he's averaging 20 points a game, pretty much exclusively relying on those those step backs. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and mind you, it shows a testament to how good that move is, you know, like how solid of a player you can be with just those kind of pared down weapons. But uh, do you think it's a trend that we'll kind of see continuing? Um, is it going to shake? I mean, I, I imagine it'll shake out if they can get a better feel for, you know, fouls and everything there. But he, he definitely, I could see it being a slumpier for Harden. I just could. Yeah, and you do have to wonder as far as like him playing on that injury in the playoffs last year, if that did any further damage, Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen guys in the past, like Isaiah Thomas play through an injury in the playoffs and just, they, they were never the same afterwards athletically. Uh, You know, we, we heard a lot about, and we even saw in that series against Milwaukee where he, he didn't do a lot of explosive movements um, to try to prevent from re-aggravating it. But still, that was, you know, he was playing on a, a pretty severe injury just like a, a week or so after it occurred. Mm-hmm. You, you do have to wonder if that, ca- if that caused any sort of long-term impact. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a long season. And we've seen even from guys like Russell Westbrook where they start out slow, not really looking themselves athletically and kind of work into it. So, you know, I'm not going to say this is what James Harden is now, but it, it is it is something worth monitoring. No, I totally agree. It's, it's 
it's that's right where I feel exactly in terms of like, okay, it could be nothing. It's definitely something, but how big is it? Is 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 kind of the importance. Like if it's just a small type of okay, soul start, fine. We've seen it. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan. Like I know what soul starts are. At the same time, like given kind of the, the background to the season, both with the Kyrie situation, with Harden's personal health and everything going on, it's that. Yeah, it could be more than that. And if so, I mean, all of a sudden, things are definitely more interesting in terms of the Brooklyn Nets and their future. So I uh, feel free to, to chime in with any anybody that you have in your notes, Corbin, but I'll just keep going down my list. Oh, but, no, this is, yeah, by all means, um, please do. Uh, a guy that I've been impressed with and somebody that I think is, uh, you know, is, is not talked about a ton because he's a role player, but uh, he's got that sort of championship swagger off of last season, but you know, at watching that uh, opening night game and uh, also seeing kind of down the stretch of their game against San Antonio. But uh, Pat Connaughton of the Milwaukee Bucks has really impressed me. I have, okay, you got it. You got it. I'm going to have you take the lead on this one, Gary, because I've watched like a little bit of Pat Connaughton, mostly opening night and like some segments of the second. But like, what is it about him? Just the way he's playing? I mean, we saw it as the playoffs sort of progressed that he just started looking more confident with that jumper. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's shooting the ball with a lot of confidence and he's also, you know, he came into the draft and of course there was that whole thing about his, uh, his vertical leap and there was an issue with the measurement and all that, but he is a very good, he is a very good athlete. And to be honest, he's mostly just used that athleticism to be like a decent rebounder and also with like contesting threes on the perimeter, blocking some shots, but he didn't really use his athleticism much on the offensive end in the past. And I've started to notice him utilize that uh, off the bounce game where guys are now respecting that jumper because he's shooting it better. And now he's able to take it off the dribble and he's, uh, he's been able to get to the rim and finish at times. So just, you know, utilizing his athleticism on both ends of the floor more consistently, I think is a really positive development for the Milwaukee Bucks. I would definitely agree with that. I guess like an enhancement of his skills uh, on that end um, without just being a solid like three and D type player. Yeah. And uh, you know, he, um, you know, when, when he comes off the bench now, I'm like, yeah, he's just an extension of their starting lineup. I'm, I feel very confident when he's on the floor for that team. And uh, you know, they, they have some other issues maybe with that bench, but uh uh, he's he's a guy that I I'm fairly confident is going to execute their scheme, play hard, and uh, is uh, is improving despite the fact that he's what now in his uh, you know mid to late twenties at this point. Mm-hmm. I was going to say what will probably be interesting in terms of um, looking at, at content is his role in uh, Dante Divincenzo returns. Yeah, um, yeah, Connaughton is now is 28. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's fun to see when guys kind of more mid career, uh, make some, make some, uh, improvements, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I feel like when, when DiVincenzo comes back, it's going to be more of a cut to Grace and Allen's minutes than it will be to Connaughton's, but we'll, That's we'll have fair. I definitely will have, I, from what I've seen from Allen, I love the way he's able to come in and immediately be one of the more steadier shooters that Milwaukee's had and that is including both DiVincenzo and Connaughton yeah uh, it's it's good to just have uh have that guy that has a little bit of size uh you know he's he's had moments where he spaces out defensively and and makes some mistakes but uh you know yeah just having a guy that 
um, when locked in is a capable defender and then also on the other end can can provide that floor spacing around Giannis yeah it's, it's good to have that depth especially with um, with uh, with DiVincenzo out at the moment for sure for sure um, going more from a like player perspective to a team perspective what have you kind of liked and I mean kind of talk about the Lakers but have there been any of the teams that you've just been kind of bullish on or a little more negative than like you were expecting uh, of the season so far yeah so uh, one team that's uh, a little bit worse than I was expecting. And it looks like they were recording this on a Monday night. It looks like they might've won this evening, but uh, from the first couple of games, the New Orleans Pelicans yeah. do not, uh, do not look like a good basketball team uh, relying uh, pretty heavily on the likes of, of Ingram and Valanchunas offensively and then defense, you know, defensively they're, uh, they're, they're obviously going to struggle. I expected that, you know, I thought Valanchunas going from, from Adams to him was a downgrade defensively, obviously going from Lonzo to Devonte Graham was a downgrade defensively. They're playing a couple of rookies, although, you know, Herb Jones, their second round pick has been getting a ton of minutes. Uh, he's a guy that I think is a strong defender, but just looks completely lost on the offensive end. Uh, so they're, um, they're, they're also playing that Trey Murphy, who I, who I liked, um, coming out of the draft, but again, playing, playing multiple draft picks, heavy minutes, and even in their crunch time lineups at times, not, uh, not a great sign for your team's depth and, and the team's overall outlook, especially without Zion available. Yeah, it, it definitely shows. I mean, that something is not all right with the ship in that way. I'm having to play a lot of your rookies. I wasn't a fan of the Pelicans offseason moves. And we, I think I definitely kind of sound off on that coming in. Like you want to surround Zion with like just as much shooting and playmaking as possible. Um, shooting and defense rather. Playmaking is something that's always a good plus. But like the Pelicans sort of kind of addressed it, but also didn't really do it. It doesn't help if anything gets further um aggravated or exact exact yeah aggravated i was exasperated i'm tired it was further aggravated by the loss of zion so far and not having him there puts a lot of pressure on brandon ingram to create to score he's had great scoring numbers and all around solid stat line in terms of points rebounds and assists and yet up until tonight i mean up until when we're recording this tonight um last night when y'all hear this they were zero and three so I just, it's, it's a weird fit. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas has been kind of mixed, which is uh, another reason why I'm not sure why you give the guy a two-year extension on a contract when he hadn't played the game yet, but such is the way of the New Orleans Pelicans under David Griffin. I'm not really sure why it persists, but uh, at some point, man, it, it, stuff's got to come to bear. I will say Corbin though, they, they did get a win tonight against Minnesota. So they're now one and three. Still oh yeah. Oh no. I was and, saying, uh, Oh, and three as of, I'm sorry. You're right. I, misspoke <laughs> and uh i i gotta give props to to yonis valanciunas because i have him on my fantasy team but he put up 22 points and 23 rebounds this evening which is uh, he's been it's been weird because like you have big numbers like that i thought he had decent numbers last time but he had like three of 19 shooting for a guy who took most of the shots around the basket like i don't know i don't know about yeah, that that first game was rough for sure yes but uh you know um the, their offense like you know hasn't been uh, hasn't been great either and you know it's it's and, and part of this could just be it'll be fixed when Zion returns but it feels very much like a your turn my turn type of offense where Ingram will get it and they'll just uh, you know run an iso for him or they'll run a post up for Valanchunas or a, a, a pick and roll up top with Devontae Graham and you know Graham is is 
pretty much either going to shoot that three or just pass it to Valanchunas. Valanchunas, you know, has improved as a passer, but, um, you know, he's, uh, and he's an okay post-up option, but it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, when, when most of the league has, has really great options offensively and they're running, running sets that have a lot of flow, a lot of ball movement, a lot of player movement. And then you watch a, a Pelican's possession and it's like, Oh, it's just one action. And then we pass it into an ISO or a post up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, it, it looks a little bit ugly and the results have not been, have not been great. No, it's, I, I don't know. Okay. Part of me is like how, okay. How, okay. Let me answer with, let me respond to the question. How would you kind of construct the ideal offense with the absence on right now for new Orleans? Yeah, I, I would probably try to have some, I mean, yeah, I think the, the best way to start is to put the ball in Devontae Graham's hands and utilize Brandon Ingram in kind of a Paul George roll off the ball. Okay. Uh, so you have sort of a, a pick and roll with, with Devontae Graham and Jonas Valanciunas on one side, and then you run some off-screen action for Brandon Ingram. So, you know, if that if that Graham-Valanciunas pick-and-roll doesn't materialize, you quickly get it to Ingram, who's able to attack on the move and go from there. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of cohesion. There's not a lot of, you know, one action bleeding into the next for this offense right now. Mm-hmm. And that makes, you, makes it feel a little bit stagnant and also allows the defense to be able to set up for one action. And then by the time you get into your second action, they've been able to reorganize and reset uh, where they are and get their help, uh, help defenders uh, back in up to play. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, because, like, I don't want to jump too – I've been worried about jumping too much on the, the 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 Pelicans as currently constructed because I'm like, okay, how in the absence of Zion do you respond? I mean, obviously you have to play through Brandon Ingram. I think that would be the most obvious, but like you do have shooting in Devontae Graham. You do want to leverage the inside play of Jonas Valanciunas. Like they're not completely bereft of weapons, but like the way that Lily Green kind of has them to play right now just seems all off outside of, you know, tonight's win. Well, and that's the other thing about playing Herb Jones a ton of minutes, like they're playing him kind of at the four and yeah. he, he's spotting up, but then, you know, he's not really much a of a threat. shooter. Yeah. So that has just clogged things up even more for this team. And, and that's why like the, I love the Trey Murphy pick because this roster just desperately needs shooting. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with them playing him a bunch. I I'm not a big fan of, of Herb Jones playing a bunch, but that's also just, you know, a testament to, uh, unfortunately this, this roster right now, and you gotta, you gotta give uh, uh, some criticism to David Griffin that like this team and, and Willie Green is kind of forced to play a, a guy like Herb Jones, who simply, I guess, again, on one end of the floor, specifically on offense is not NBA ready. Yeah, exactly. I think many of the weaknesses for this team that I, I that you're we're kind of talking about now really go back to David Griffin and the assemblage of said team because like yes they're mismatched right now the injury design is not great it would never be good you know what I mean but you also have a team that I mean their their strengths aren't clearly defined because they had clear weaknesses that weren't fully addressed in the offseason yeah and you know Josh Hart has also been out that 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 hurts as well but again you know if you're if if two injuries basically takes you to to being one of the <laughs> the worst teams in the league yeah uh, 
So maybe you got to look at uh, how good are we actually when we're fully healthy at this point. Yeah, where were you before that happened, if that's the case, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's I really don't have any glaring takes aside from that. Do you have any final touches on the season you want to bring up, Garrett? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got another another young player that I thought would well I've got a, a couple other um, rookies that I thought I would touch on that okay. I've a little bit Chris Duarte had an amazing opening yes. night. Uh, he was a guy that I thought was again one of the most NBA ready players in this draft, and uh, yeah he he looks fantastic. Uh, I think he he had he had a struggle in his second game, but overall has been really good. Uh, Davion Mitchell for Sacramento you know, busted out offensively in that Warriors game and also had some pretty good defensive uh, defensive showings as well for the Kings. And then Evan Mobley, you know, uh, he, I think a lot of people are freaking out over the stat lines and everything and thinking he's the next Anthony Davis. I wouldn't go that far yet, but, uh, um, you know, you got to like what he's been able to do, just kind of contributing in small ways in, in a variety of settings, you know, occasionally hitting the mid-range jumper, running the floor in transition, getting, uh, getting on the glass, um, making, you know, showing off his passing skill, which we all n- noticed that he had coming, coming out of, uh, of college. But uh, yeah, just that uh, he, his game seems well-balanced right now. And he's able to contribute in a lot of ways. And it's just a matter for him to just get incrementally better at all of those different areas. And, and the Cavs could have a, a really, really good player in a few years. Yeah. The, the way that he's so well-rounded, it, I, I really, it's something to see. I mean, his scoring on the basket his his jump shot definitely still improving. Uh, the fact that he has been rebounding well, the fact that he's been trying to target him on switches and are finding out to their dismay that he is not that guy you know that you you do not want to try to target him this is not the mismatch you think it is um and then his touch in terms of not just around the basket but his passing feel is there as well so definitely definitely high um on the way he's been able to come in and make an impact and i thought he would as well i thought it'd be a little take a little bit more time um and there's still some growing um issues of course i mean it's a rookie in like his fourth third game but at the same time uh to see him immediately be able to put an imprint on the on the on the game um, especially for a team like the Cavs that have been kind of bereft of that kind of talent in that way since LeBron left, it is really cool to see. Yeah, and uh, the the Cavs, I've, I've only been able to watch uh, that uh, that game against Memphis, but, uh, you know, Lowry Markinen does not seem like a great fit. <laughs> another oh, another huh. thing that uh, another thing that I kind of expected going into the year and, and after that signing, I was very critical of that move. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Memphis Grizzlies look, uh, look pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, John ja Morant, I think has oh, made a, a bit of a leap as well. And, uh, it's, it's fun to watch, um, how, how the different lineups also alter the way that, uh, Morant plays, you know, when, when they've been playing lineups with, they've, they've played some minutes with lineups with Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, you've seen John ja Morant be able to get all the way to the rim, and then other lineups when, you know, you've got like a Steven Adams and a Kyle Anderson in, John Morant has then started to rely more on his floater, which he's become remarkably consistent at. So it's it's fun to watch a star player figuring out how to play depending on the personnel around him and, and to be successful in all sorts of uh, variety or in a, in a various number of ways. Exactly. And, 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 and I think what 
is most impressed me is the fact that he's been thriving despite not being on the roster that's like maximizing skills. I mean, mind you, I love roster funkiness uh, up to a certain extent. Like starting Larry Mark another three, like give it to me, I guess, but not if you're like Justin Matchum, I'm sure. (laughs) Shout out to Justin, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the Cavs lineups are very weird. You know, I expected them to be a really poor offense this year because, you know, I was going in expecting Okoro was going to play the three and thinking, well, yeah, they're they're going to be good or they're going to be at least, you know, acceptable defensively with Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. But instead, they go with marketing at the three. And then it's like, I, I flip that. Okay, they're going to be a little bit more respectable offensively, but now they'll just be atrocious defensively. Yeah, exactly. And they have to cobble together certain units that, okay, will help in one way and maybe shore up this to a passable degree while also just banning any hope of anything passable on the other side of the floor. Yeah, and Minnesota is another one of those teams where the the – the lineup decisions have impacted sort of how I feel about their offensive and defensive ratings. You know, I was expecting a lot of lineups with obviously D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and another offensive piece like a Malik Beasley and thinking, okay, well, if those lineups are out there, they'll score a ton, but they won't be good at all defensively. Instead, Chris Finch has opted for a lot of lineups with Jaden McDaniels and a Kogi, or I saw a lineup with, you know, the likes of Beverly and Vanderbilt and Nas Reed. It's like he's he's putting out much heavier defensive groups. And again, that's that's altered sort of the way I feel about the Timberwolves, where it's like, okay, well, their offensive ceiling is obviously going to be a little bit lower given you, you know, a Kogi and and Vanderbilt are very limited offensive pieces, but now they're gonna be a little bit better defensively than I anticipated. And I mean, even that for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of an offensive person, as you know, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, if you tilt to where guys like Vanderbilt, you know, Nas Reed, a Kogi, right? Like their defense is going to be better, right? But how much better? Like we're not talking like top 13 defense, right? Where their yeah. offense, I feel, could possibly get there with their defense being abysmal, of course. It's like, where do you go? Because you're right, like crafting that perfect lineup is hard due to the personnel you have available. So then which way do you skew? Should you play to your strengths? Because I definitely get having a more defensive-minded lineup if you have a lot more better defenders that can make an impact. But, like, if you're often going to struggle and your defenders are just good, like, yes, Vanderbilt, Kogi, like, they're good individual defenders, like, in a vacuum already. But I'm just saying, like, if they're just that good defenders because they're not good on offense and they're, like, ultimately, like, not game-changing defenders in a way that, like, reasonably impacts the team in a positive direction then like wouldn't you go to your strengths which would be the offense and hope that you can kind of show up enough defensive pieces there to make it work i i don't know about the conundrum there yeah it's it's an interesting question because obviously when you're talking about a championship caliber team you do want to have that elite ability on both ends of the floor you know that's what i think the teams that are vying for the championship are striving for is to be top 10 on on both ends but yes. when you're in it, when you're at a stage of the, the rebuilding process that Minnesota is in right now, um, you know, yeah, I would argue what you've said where, you know, our strength is offense. Let's go all in on that and try to, to make some progress and develop the defense later. Um, but, you know, there's also that idea of as a coach, like in Chris Finch's position where, you want to build, you want to establish a culture and by setting an example that, okay, these guys that play hard defensively get minutes, then maybe that encourages your other younger players to, that are more offensively talented to, 
grind and play a little bit harder on that end. So yeah, it's, it's a tough call because I agree with you going all in on offense, I think might maximize the Timberwolves win totals this season, but Mm -hmm. maybe if you're looking at the, 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 you know, the, the four or five year picture and say, what's the best way to build out and be the best team in a couple of years, it might be developing and building that defensive culture and mindset. Yeah. No, definitely agree with you there. Um, it's just, it's weird. I mean, you gave a very good answer, so I'm able to drop that. I just think it's something worth exploration with other units down the line and maybe something to revisit with this team as well. Yeah, and it just, that's that's part of what's so fun, right, about the first week of the season is you, you, you see these things that you weren't expecting. It's like, oh, this coach is playing this guy 30 minutes? I- yeah. I, I that's didn't true. That coming, but that's what's so appealing about these opening couple of weeks. That's very true. I mean, we have a, a, a growing sample size, just enough that you could have, you know, a reasonable take on some things, maybe not enough to go off of some of the hot takes that we like to trend to, not you specifically, just general NBA um, coverage at large. But like, yeah, I do like that you have a, a sample, a set that's constantly growing that you can evaluate in real time. definitely a huge fan of that yeah i uh i agree it's um it's uh it's gonna be fun to continue to explore and you know there's there's some teams that i haven't gotten to watch much of yet you know i i haven't watched chicago much because the the pistons games are blacked out and oh man that sucks this week yeah so um you know i know people are uh we're very high on on the bulls and i am as well and uh, given their start, I'm sure people are are, are uh, saying, I told you so, but I would also say that, uh, well, you, you played the Pistons twice without Cade Cunningham, and I think the other game was maybe New Orleans, so they, they haven't played a murderer's row here in the opening week. No, I mean, as we record, I mean, by the time I listened to this today, uh, last night, um, the Bulls actually beat the Raptors in a very tight game. A lot of that, I think, was self-inflicted for Chicago, but, and I, I had a little fun with uh, Josh Eberle on Twitter, um, I put that DeMar DeRozan uh, reestablished that he's a closer. Um, and of course, I'm, 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 I said in some way a little bit facetiously, uh, in another way, just largely referring to his uh, performance or his uh, tenure in San Antonio, where he really was that guy. But he ended up being that guy down the stretch for Chicago in their win over Toronto, where they needed buckets, they're falling apart. You had a near travel by Nikola Vucevic trying to break a, uh, a trap that the Raptors were running. He ends up throwing the ball, little just throwing the ball away. Then you had Alonzo Ball off the inbounds pass, throw the ball away. And when they were able to just get the ball to the roads and then clear out, he had three straight clutch buckets in the mid-range the way that he always does. You know, fake left shoulder, turn around to the right. Fade away going to the left. Pull up Jay on them in the middle of, of the key. Like, he sealed the game for them. And so, I, right now, I feel very confident in my – I was already high on the Bulls, but I thought that DeMar DeRozan would come in and kind of be that guy down the stretch that they needed, um, even with his loss. And so far, I mean, mind you, Toronto's probably their first real test, but I have been impressed. This is their first 4-0 start since 1997, so that's kind of neat. They, they, the 3-0 start they had was last done by the 98 Bulls and the three Alphas. I'm sure you remember the greatness of that team, Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that the Raptors without Siakam isn't a real test, but, uh, you know, oh. I, I, kind of, I kind of expected Toronto to just try to just hang in there until Siakam gets back and then start to play some good basketball. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, again, I haven't, I haven't watched Chicago play, but I do know that DeMar DeRozan, 
despite the fact that he was traded for Kawhi and then the Raptors, uh, his, his team that drafted him ended up winning the championship. I'm sure he's salty about that, but he has, uh, I feel like come back and in, uh, in games against the Raptors and, and, and played pretty well and has uh, kind of sealed a couple of close games against them. I remember he did that last year in the opening week for San Antonio, where he, he killed Toronto down the stretch of that game. So uh, DeRozan getting a getting a small a small bit of payback. Definitely, definitely, and it was cool to see. I'm I'm loving DeRozan's feel. I like the way he was very candid and open with his free agency process and everything, just in general since Toronto, really. And so I'm rooting for him to succeed. But in this Bulls team right now, they definitely have a lot more offensive weapons. Uh, it remains to be seen how the defense works and whether come crunch time there is a some a synergy between you know. Vooch, who I think should clearly be a third guy, um, as well as Levine and DeRozan on who gets the ball where and, and, and who's kind of delivering in the clutch. Well, and, and, you know, for the Bulls, I'm, I'm saying they haven't really beaten anyone yet, and, and that may be true, but what's also true is they're, they're 4-0, so, you know, they've racked up those four wins. Those Very aren't going to be away. And also it is an important, uh, an important feature for teams that are trying to put up good records and make the postseason to – to beat the lesser teams and to beat them consistently. So, you know, despite the fact that, yeah, I don't think uh, this four and start means that this team is as good as everyone was expecting, but uh, you know, it, it is a, it is a positive start. And uh, you know, it's, it also is a, you know, even if you are beating lesser teams, it is still a way to, to build some, some confidence in the early going. Yeah, that's true. And, and maybe these kind of early wins will sustain them for the much harder challenges they have, you know, when you are playing in Miami you know, uh, running into a Brooklyn Nets, uh, you know, heading over to the West Coast on a back-to-back. Like, some of that other challenges that are going to be actual real challenges are, are, are you kind of have built some, okay, we've been in a similar situation. We've gelled this way. We've made this work. You know, defensively, we've come together. And when we face adversity, we've been more empowered because of it. So we'll see how that works out. But I'm definitely intrigued. Chicago's very intriguing to me um, as a roster in, in, in this entirety, uh, especially since Billy Donovan, who I don't think is the most flexible coach in the world, is now having to kind of adapt on the fly. Yeah, I um I've been uh, I've 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 got to watch them. And, you know, now that uh, I believe I can watch that opening night game now because the the NBA league pass blackout rules is like so three days. And what's what's also annoying about that is it's, you know, not only three days after that game aired, but it's after the conclusion of the game. It's not for three days for three. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'm on uh, on Saturday night. I'm like, oh, I want to watch that Grizzlies Cavs game because it's been three days now. But I had to wait till like 1030 Eastern to even start it. So that that's a, that's a little bit frustrating. And I never fully understood why it's three full days either when those local networks are not playing those games, even probably uh, 24 hours after the game aired. Yeah, it is really weird. I don't understand that. It makes it hard if you're, let's say, covering it and you don't live in the area or you're just super fan of that team that's paying good money <laughs> for a product that's already rather shaky to then have to deal with the fact that you can't access these games so three days from the moment it ended. You know, for everything, help us if it's a three-overtime game that ends at, like, midnight. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I also can't say I'm super excited about watching the Pistons without Cade Cunningham. He's the big reason why I want to watch the Pistons. So I'm I'm almost on like I'll I'll wait for Detroit till till he's back, which is smart, especially considering that you've had Jeremy Grant out just recently. Um, and yeah, it's not a very good unit. I mean, so these wins have not been have not been impressive. I mean, for Chicago, the losses. I mean, the wins have been impressive for Chicago because they're dominance, but the games have not been impre- impressive from a viewing perspective. Yeah. But um, yeah, aside from that, uh, do you want to talk some extension real quick here, Garrett? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Don't have a whole lot here to add. We've had such a fun conversation. I'm just talking about the season and catching up there. We'll have to do this again, Garrett, real soon. I got to get you on a we'll talk about this. But anyways, um, on on real time, real fly here, uh, just in terms of extensions, the NBA uh, deadline for extensions was actually last week. Uh, and this was for um, folks, if you had, if you weren't aware, just for the NBA 2018 first round draft class and veterans of two years remaining on their deals to re-up with their um, incumbent teams. And so you had a flurry of extensions that happened during the off season. Um, we're looking at like a Luka Doncic, a Trey Young, um, a, a, a Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, and then we had a bunch more come up afterwards. Uh, you know, just before the start of the season, you had Steph Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid re-up, re, re um, all for four more years, um, ranging from $192 million for Kevin Durant to a whopping $215 million for Steph Curry, who will make a mind-boggling $59.6 million at age 37. Wow. But, like, I, that's, that's insanity to me. But, I mean, just saying it out loud, not anything about Ka- yeah, uh, Steph Curry. The first, uh, first player in NBA history to get multiple 200 plus million dollar contracts he was he was indeed which is it speaks to his longevity speaks to just his tremendous uh just ability to change the game of basketball to be this great a player even now i mean he's putting up 45 points and i mean he, i'm not one to contextualize how much someone's getting paid to their basketball abilities where people goes oh he's not getting paid enough i'm like eh, i think he actually is but at the same time like this guy is a, a living legend who is definitely um not underachieving, let's just say that. Well, and it speaks to players that actually stay with the team that drafted them and the amount of money you can make by doing that. There is a significant advantage to that, despite the fact that many players have opted to to switch teams and, and take a little bit less in the process. Wow, there it is. So, I mean, there you go. As far as being loyal and, and sticking with it. And also shout out, I guess, to the um, Warriors for except for a couple of years, and I guess it still remains to be seen how they respond um, with this blend of developing their young talent and continuing to keep their older core. But I think it says a lot for the Warriors to kind of have that faith and do their best to satisfy Steph Curry and keep him invested in this in this in this franchise. Well, yeah, and, and again, it uh, it helps that you know when yeah, as you said, probably at age thirty seven, getting paid what'd you say fifty nine million? Yes. Probably not going to be great, but it's 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 a little easier to digest when he's you know a top five player right now at the start of the contract. So um, you know when when you've got that level of a player, it's and and as you said, a legend, uh, you know, someone that uh, is uh, is going to go down in history as uh, you know arguably one of the top fifteen players of all time. It, it's worth it, and uh, especially for that organization to have a, a guy that uh, is there for the long term, and hopefully will reti- will retire as a uh, as a Golden State Warrior. 
Exactly. I mean, if he does that, I think he instantly joins the Tim Duncan. I mean, he's already there, but like, I think it's more of the Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, um, just one franchise the entire time and performing at a high level for the vast majority of that. Well, and can I go a little bit off topic here, Corbin? Yes. I know we're trying to get into extensions, but we, we got into this Steph Curry discussion. Um, you know, I, I talked earlier in the, you know, in the off season about the idea that the Warriors should go all in this year and utilize some of their young assets to get another quality player. Mm. And I, I mentioned a few times on numerous podcasts, maybe even this one, that they should, they should look to get Harrison Barnes back and, and <laughs> utilize the likes of um, James Wiseman and also their, uh, their number seven pick this year to, to make it happen. And I feel even more emboldened to say that they should do that, not only because Harrison Barnes has been playing really well, but, you know, the way this Warriors team looks, even without Clay Thompson, it's like you had two quality starters to what this team is now. I say they're absolutely a, a title contender. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way they're playing right now, schematically, as long as you, I think, continue to have good health, you're right. The Harrison Barnes thing would have been very interesting. Um, I, I can't, I, I can't argue that, but like, it's been very solid. I, 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 the way that they've been, if they had done that and continue to keep that that train moving along, I think that you have a much more like a much better chance of saying that they're championship contenders right now. As it stands, I think they still can very much be so. I wasn't anywhere near that boat before the season started, but just seeing the first couple of games, the blueprint is there. Seeing how well Steph Curry is playing, seeing Jordan Poole step up, seeing the rest of these guys kind of filling in these additions and giving great efforts. All you can say is, wow, you know, if things break right, no one's really standing out in a major way in the West so far. Again, it's early, but the Warriors could make some traction, make some noise happen here. And you're right. Like if they'd gone that different route, they'd probably be a lot more closer to right now. Not bad. Yeah, and, you know, they, they still have some weaknesses. We talked about Nemanja Bielitsa being so good, but, uh, you know, there are probably certain matchups where he's going to get exploited defensively. But, but yeah, I really like what I've seen from the Warriors. But sorry to sorry to get us off track. We could get back to, to oh, Ricky, Ricky extensions. Not at all, sir. Listen, I was actually going to throw the ball to you and ask you out of the extensions, which ones, we'll just kind of do a more uh, truncated version of this, which extensions were you – Let's start with the negative and work our way to the positive. Which extensions were you like least high on? I mean, you had a few iffy ones in my own estimation. I wasn't the biggest fan of Landry Shamit getting extension without playing the game. Like, like, okay, is he that guy to just hand money to like that? I wasn't really sure. Uh, same can be said for Jonas Valanciunas, but just getting more of your perspective. Uh, what, what kind of signings or, or you know, re-ups did you see that you were like, eh, not sure how I feel about that. Honestly, like I didn't mind any of them. And I guess we, we can just quickly, I'll just quickly go through the ones that uh, at least I have on my notes that happened last week. We've got Kevin Herter, four years, 65, Mikhail Bridges, four years, 90, Shamit, the four years, 43, Jaron Jackson Jr., four for 105, Grayson Allen, two for 20, Robert Williams, four for 54, and Wendell Carter Jr., four for 50. Um I'm not, I'm, I'm probably missing some Corbin feel free to oh, chime. Yeah, in. no, definitely. Um, you already mentioned uh, Terrence Mann. Oh no, you didn't T- two years, 22 million. Uh, we already mentioned Trey Young, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, but Trey was five years, um, 172.5 million. That jumps up to 207.1. Um, if he's an all-star, um, in 2022, 
and he has a fifth-year player option there. Uh, Luka Doncic, just straight five years, $207 million with the fifth-year player option. Steph Curry already mentioned. Kevin Durant, four years, 192. Embiid, four years straight, 196. Um, you already mentioned Herder, Jimmy Butler, four years, 184. Grayson Allen, two years, 17 mil. Uh, you mentioned the Celtics. Jaron Jackson had four years, 104.7. That's a declining salary, and there's an Exhibit 3 injury protection in there as well, which is smart just given, unfortunately, uh, his injury history so far. Malcolm Brogdon, two years, 45. Uh, and then Daniel Galford, uh, three years, 40.2 mil. Yeah, so I mean, if we're doing all the extensions, not just the rookies, I would I would argue that that Jimmy Butler one might be the worst. Yeah, no, I was doing all of them, and I you know I agree with you on that. I'm not, I don't I don't really know how Jimmy Butler's going to age, but I don't feel confident about it. Yeah, and I think the other thing, given the age of Butler, the age of PJ Tucker, the age of Kyle Lowry, like doesn't this team feel like it's this year is really what they're going for? So I don't even know if it was necessary to extend Butler because you had him locked up for this season. And you're talking about a guy that has, you know, declined in, in certain ways. And, and frankly, he's declined in all the ways that you would, uh, you would expect a player to get better as they age. You know, he's declined as a shooter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once, you're at, once his athleticism goes as well, then it's what like, do you have? Exactly. A big point guard and that getting paid a ton of money at the age for the his age, like what 36 season? Yeah. Uh, 37, actually. Oh man, yeah. It's it it's gonna get, I think it's gonna get really, really ugly. And I just don't know what the what the upside of that was, you know. Again, because I feel like it's maybe this year and next that uh that they really um, can can compete, and I think he, he may have been locked up for for at least those two seasons prior to this extension. Yeah, I just like you said, what was the need? Where was the need in that? He would have been sealed up for Miami if you would let him play out and then bring him back. You know what I mean? Like if you would let him play out his contract and then brought him back, fine. I just don't understand. Yeah, you expect to get good basketball this season. I expect the next season after that. I think um, the ball's up in the air. Yeah. So obviously, I didn't like that. Um, I guess like, you know, you mentioned the Landry Shamit extension four for 43. I was not super high on that. Although, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big Landry Shamit guy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but it, it felt like a little bit of an overpay, but then I saw that the last two seasons are not guaranteed. And also the last season is a team option. So, um, you know, maybe you're overpaying for the first couple of years, but they've got a lot of uh, leverage. The team does in the last, uh, in, in that year three and four of that contract so I don't mind that too much and again like I think especially with the the cap expected to rise in a few years that uh, you know paying a eighth or ninth guy around 10 million is is not going to be I think that's going to be pretty much like average around the league yeah so I agree I just I I think that the rate is fine I definitely like the protection on the team side as one of those contracts I just don't understand why you I mean that's a sign of commitment for sure but like wouldn't you want to see how it plays out a little bit like there's no harm in waiting for that to, to kind of bear root like yeah the shooters market might get crazy if he has like a tremendous year but if this is going to be the going rate anyway doesn't matter you know what I mean that's just maybe I'm just anti like show show it before like you know, you get paid. Like, let's see, you know, unless you're that guy that comes with that reputation, I think Shaman comes with the reputation of being a very solid shooter um, who's a mad to below average defender. And I'm just like, okay, do I immediately hand money to that? I'm not sure. I, I feel like the last extension, even then, you, you're hoping 
that a lot of the Bears drew. It's good that the Suns have an early out for a lot of it, but I just feel like it's a lot of early projection uh, for a player whose returns have been okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I would – I don't know if you disagree with this, but I would say he's proven to be like a 7 or $8 million player up to this I would agree. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Regardless, I'd say that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's anywhere between like 2 to $4 million of an overpay, but you're also getting the benefit of having him for, you know, the team controls him for the next four years so he could grow into that contract. And, again, like I think he's shown enough, yeah, as you mentioned, as a shooter but also a movement shooter. He's, he's a below average defender, but he's not, he's not terrible. Like he tries hard and he's, he's got okay size. I think he's six, five. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind it too much, especially given the, the last couple of years and the team control there. Um, and then, you know, a couple other ones, I, I love the, the Robert Williams move. I think that's great value apparently just only 48 million of the 54 is guaranteed. I think there's another six with incentives. Wow. Um, so, you know, you talk about like a, a move I was very critical of mm-hmm. earlier in the off season with the Cavs signing Jared Allen to that four year, a hundred million dollars, excuse me, five year, hundred million dollar contract. Like, you know, is Jared Allen basically twice as good as Robert Williams? I would say no. No, I would agree. I think if anything, this signing of Williams makes that signing look worse. It already looked like a lot. And I get for Cleveland investing a guy they acquired, like you knew when they acquired him, they weren't just going to let him go. Um, I don't know if they could have negotiated less, but at the same time, that was a whopping amount for a guy in Jared Allen, who I think is just fine, you know? But now that you have a guy in, in Robert Williams, you line those two up together, I don't see too many differences, but I do see it on the paycheck. Exactly. So I, I love that for Boston. And, and Williams has, uh, you know, not only that, uh, you know, he's, he's got durability issues, which is maybe why this contract, uh, the, the Celtics were able to get him to sign the dotted line for as low of an amount as they did. But, yeah. you know, his, his ceiling is really high. Like, I think he can be a center in high leverage moments at high levels, given his ability to move his feet, his shot blocking, his vertical athleticism. Uh, you know, he can run the floor. So, yeah, he's and he's, you know, I think he's more skilled than people give him credit for with his ability to pass the basketball. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a great deal. And, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. got around the same amount of money. But, uh, you know, I think Robert Williams has proved a lot more in his career so far than, than Carter Jr. has. Yeah, I would have to agree. And also, I think we've seen, um, like you said already in this short season, uh, we've seen some real crunch time minutes that Williams has been able to play and be effective in uh, going down the wire for the Celtics team. So I think the early returns are positive. And I personally like Wendell Carter, um, but I definitely would agree with you in terms of the improvement that we've seen uh, in a much in, in a similar period of time. Another contract I really liked was the Kevin Herter deal. Uh, four years, 65 million. So like basically a little over 16 million per for a guy that Great I think- value is probably an average starter right now. And, you know, he's not starting for the Hawks because they're loaded, but I think, you know, he's been, he's shown he's able to step in and start and play well. And otherwise he's just a terrific guy off the bench. So, you know, I think that's, that's pretty good value. And again, a guy that I think will grow and become better as the contract goes along. So uh, I think that's, yeah, pretty darn good value there for Atlanta. 
I agree. I think you're getting someone who, yeah, they're just so stacked that position, but you do get shooting from Hurdy. You do get playmaking. You see him in the playoffs with big time plays, you know? Um, I think you're getting a guy for, I would say a little bit below average rate for that guy. I'm, I'm thinking more 18 to 20 million a year for that type of player. Mind you, he's a DC's an average starter, um, but I'm very high on him. I look at him very much in the way I look at of the Clippers um, and their uh, Luke Kennard. Interesting. So you're really high on, on Kennard. I, um... well, I know I look at him in terms of his value, similar to Kennard. I was a lot more, uh, I think I'm more in touched or more, in tune more impressed with the idea of Luke Kennard than the actual Luke Kennard. You know what I mean? Like someone who's going to give me like 15 points and four assists from the off guard role, who's primarily a shooter, but has some chops in the pick and roll. You know what I mean? And, and Luke Kennard, this wasn't recent news, but signed a very similar contract to Herder. I believe it was four years 64. Exactly. And I think, uh, I think Herder has shown uh, far more to be just a guy that can consistently be out there. I think the biggest issue with Kennard, even, even compared to Shamit, like Kennard is just such a terrible defensive player that it's hard to consistently give him minutes. Um, whereas Herder, you know, he's, uh, I, I don't think people realize that he's a legit six, seven, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, he plays hard and he's a much better athlete than, than he looks. Um, you know, I, I feel like if he wasn't six, seven and he just walked down the street, people wouldn't pay him any attention, Kevin Herter, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I like the Herter deal and, um, you know, the, the other couple of, uh, I'll throw this to you, Corbin, because another couple of the big ones that happened last week, Mikhail Bridges four for 90 and Jaron Jackson Jr. Four for one Oh five. What did you feel about those? Cause again, those were two of the bigger payouts we saw last week. I was a lot more high on getting um, the the extension of Mikel for Phoenix than I was perhaps for um, getting Jaron Jackson's. Like, like I felt like when you look at what Mikel Bridges done for Phoenix, you look at his defense, you look at the way he's improved his offense game, you look at how big of a role he played with the Suns making their finals berth. Like that was a lot more impactful, important. Like you clearly knew you're going to give the guys money, right? When it comes to Jaron Jackson. I definitely think that he's shown the signs for an extension, right? Um, I definitely am intrigued that skill set of having a guy who could shoot a, a great percentage from three, you know, be able to finish around the rim, play very good defense, like anchor that kind of line. It, the idea is still there. Um, I just don't know if based off availability and just consistent level of play in that way that he was worth that amount, if that makes sense. Like Mikhail Bridges, it's clearly shown. It's like, okay, there, there's no question to be asked. I do think that you could have had some cause for pause when it came to Jaron Jackson Jr. personally. Yeah, I, I largely agree with you there. And I think part of it comes down to just the team and the role that these guys are on. I think maybe Bridges is hurt a little bit because, you know, you see he's on a team where he's like the fourth guy. Um, yeah. And, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. is on a, a team that isn't as good. And he's kind of looked at as the number two there. Um, so just because of the sort of the, the context that these players are in with their respective teams, maybe, uh, they, they get paid differently. And then also, yeah, it feels much more like Jaron Jackson jr. Is getting paid for really what was one season of great play that second year, um, where he shot the ball really well from three at a high volume and then was injured for most of last year and hasn't shown to quite be the same player since, Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Whereas Mikael Bridges has proven, you know, over multiple seasons that he is a quality starting player that can compete at the highest of levels. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how the sort of the team context factors in and then also how much uh, teams are valuing a guy's, you know, what he's capable of doing in the future for us versus what he's already accomplished in our system. Exactly. And I think that's something to consideration when you are looking at these extensions. Okay, what have they done? You're projecting, of course, because that's what you're doing, especially when these rookie um, contract extensions are coming into play. Um, but I guess you're doing with the veterans, too. How effective do you think Jimmy Butler will be at age 37 compared to Seth Curry and the amount of money you give compared to the other being franchise guys for their respective teams? You know, when you look at Jaron Jackson, again, you're, you're projecting a little bit in terms of his role and his health with the money he's being paid and the production that you've seen so far. And I just think I think that the Grizzlies was just a little bit off on that. Well, and, you know, you look at a contract that, again, that Shamit signed where the last two seasons are unguaranteed. Uh, apparently, Jaron Jackson Jr., it's no options, no incentives on that four-year, $105 million contract. Just straight up. Yes, the only, the only contingency there is there is a left knee partial protection on the last season for the Grizzlies, but the only way they even – are able to get money back is if they straight up cut Jaron Jackson Jr., which they're obviously not going to do, even exactly. if he suffered a re-injury to that same knee. I think it was a left meniscus issue that he dealt with for most of last year. Even if he suffers that, I think it's it would behoove them to say, well, we're gonna we're gonna let that heal and hopefully you know keep him around and he comes back and is is good again, as opposed to just we're gonna cut cut the bait completely. Yeah, I agree. Like, they're kind of in a spot where he's there. He's going to be there through the length of that contract, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that uh, that Grayson Allen deal, I would argue, was uh, a little bit of an overpay. Apparently, 17 of the $20 million is uh, is guaranteed. There's a, a little under $3 million in uh, in incentives. Um, so, you know, you talk about, I, I would argue that Grayson Allen and Landry Shamit are pretty similar players. Um so, you know, and I would argue that the Shamit contract is better because the the uh, the Suns have control over the, those last couple of years. If they like what Shamit has done, they can they can continue. Whereas if Grayson Allen really outperforms somehow that two year, 20 million dollar contract, then the Bucks have to, to pay up even more in two years. Yeah, it's one of those like I don't call them the poison pill, I guess it's not the right word. But at the same time, it's it's it's. It's one of those where you don't really do yourself any favors. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I, I, guess, I completely agree with you there. I guess for Milwaukee, though, they're thinking these next two years are the years, right? With yeah. John Prime, with Drew Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez under contract. So they're thinking, you know, we'll, we'll worry about those uh, in, in a couple of years. We'll worry about that later, but we'll just get the depth and this guy in that we know can contribute and help us for a, help a championship team right now and uh, really push for you know, back-to-back or even back-to-back-to-back titles. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. And and you know what? That makes a lot of sense in terms of, okay, let's maximize the the, the guys we have right now. You know, uh, as, as we see Middleton, Andrew Holiday going to the early 30s under this contract, we see Giannis kind of continuing his prime. We have Grayson Allen to maximize the, the, the best of that. And then we'll reevaluate and see if we have to move on and, and rebuild, retool around Giannis, um, whatever the case may be of going there. And then you do have some more flexibility uh, potentially. Or you say, hey, Grace announced that guy, you're a priority. We're going to break the bank for you. Or, you know, it's been great, Grace, and thank you for your time. You know what I mean? Whatever the case may be. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's a, a pretty good transition then to a couple of guys that didn't get extensions, if you want to I'll, talk about that at all. Oh, I was about to say, we talked about all the ones who did. Uh, do we want to talk about the ones who didn't? Yeah, what about uh, the guy in Milwaukee that I think Grayson Allen is sort of insurance for, which is Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, I think, you know, Milwaukee, this is, uh, again, part of the reason why they, they made this move is like, okay, well, if DiVincenzo is asking for too much, We've still got a guy that, you know, isn't as good as DiVincenzo, but, you know, is a, is a reasonable replacement. And that also allows us to have some leverage in those negotiations. So that's, uh, that'll be interesting to, to, to look at for the future seasons. And then also there was the big one with DeAndre Ayton, where Ayton was asking, apparently him and his agents were asking for the five-year max. The Suns were not willing to give it. And then James Jones went on and said it was, um, it was about uh, the fifth year because they didn't want uh, two designated player ext- rookie extensions on their roster because then you can't trade for another. Uh, so they, they already have that in, in Devin Booker. And if they gave it to eight and they wouldn't be able to get a third, but it's seemingly like, well, what are the light, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to trade for a third guy on that kind of a contract while still keeping Booker and eight. And it seems unlikely but uh, that was that was sort of their logic for not doing it. But I think it's more, and um, I think there's a reasonable case that you know maybe just paying Aiton a, a, a max contract isn't necessarily the the wisest move bis- uh, in a business sense. Yeah, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. You said it, it, it makes zero sense from a hypothetical. Oh, we might be in a position where uh, what? Who? I mean, you already have this much my like 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 idea of projecting out of what kind of guy you're looking at three years down the line like it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever is it and and if it did let's say it's somebody that like there's been like clear talk of the the sons being in the year of i don't know uh shay gilgis alexander or something i'm just throwing out a name like even if that was indeed the case is it worth the frayed relations that you're going to have with deandre ayton because it's like the locker room probably has too many good vets. And I think Aiden is too good of a good soldier maybe to – I'm this – of course, I don't know this, but I'm saying for them not to have any major holes. But, like, there's an issue. A guy clearly played well, sacrificed minutes and, and, and touches for the team, expected a certain contract, did not get expected contract. Like, yeah, there's going to be some issues there, whether that's, like, you know, immediate, like, you know, the Shaq pay me comments to his owner or just more under the table is definitely still there. Is it worth that? You know, is it worth having – and potentially pull a Joe Johnson like he did back in 2004 with the Suns where a similar event happened and it got that that damaged relation so badly that no like I did remember I did keep track and guess what like I'm not coming back you know I, I just don't understand the fiscal responsibility of that over a hypothetical that I mean we're gonna book it right now uh recording this on the 25th I'm gonna look back on this two years down the line three years down the line and see what big guy Phoenix is gonna trade for like that just shows just how I don't know. Uh, I, I don't even know the word I would use for why this signing didn't happen, but I think it's inexcusable. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm not as as negative about it, just given that you know I think when it comes to a potential locker room issue, the first thing I look at is okay, does the team have a good culture? And I think Monty Williams has established a great culture there in that Suns locker room. So I don't expect there to be you know, a whole bunch of issues and, and this be becoming a major problem for the team's chemistry or anything like that. I could be wrong, but again, I, I, I trust the coach there and I trust the culture that they've developed, but, and then also, you know, because Aiton didn't get paid, 
he has to go out and play well to, you know, get what he thinks he deserves next off season. Right. Oh no. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well. So, and, and then also, you know, if you're Phoenix, you're thinking, um, is he actually worth a max contract? Is he like a number one or a number two on a great team? And, and, you know, I, I think they're fair to ask that it's, it's fair to ask that question. You know, he was the, I think the co-number three, him and Mikhail Bridges last year. Um, and, you know, that worked, but is that guy worth a max? You know, we saw Mikhail Bridges didn't get the max, obviously. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I get where you're coming from. That definitely makes sense. I just don't know if you look at the other guys who were signed, you look at the impact that Aiden had, I don't know how you don't get that deal done. And then deal with that down the line. If you sign into that and then you want to move immediately while his trade value is high. Like, I, I just don't understand how that doesn't happen. Um, but I do get where you're coming from in terms of, yeah, I, I, and I, I maybe I, I overstated. I don't expect there to be like a lockman issue like that. I just expect there to be like an issue down the line in terms of future negotiations. The guy, like you think it just moves past and everything's good. Maybe it is. I just, I'm not super high on that possibility. Well, and there's, you know, in the, you know, in, the argument for, you know, signing him to that deal, if you're Phoenix is even if you don't think he's worth the max and maybe he's straight up just objectively isn't worth a max contract, he's probably going to get one <laughs> is the, is yeah. the thought. And, you know, because teams have overpaid in the past, we saw Gordon Hayward get 30 million from, from Charlotte, you know, it just takes one team to think a guy is that good. And he's then like a borderline or, fully max player so if if you're phoenix and you go into that thinking well he's gonna get a max next offseason so what's the point of waiting around we can get him for a full five years and then with the cap rising we'll get some benefits in those later years of that contract whereas now uh you know he could go in free agency and sign a two plus one if he wants and then you don't Get the, you don't get him for as long. You don't get him throughout his entire prime, and you don't get those really good years typically at the end of declining contracts uh, as far as the value. So there, there is an argument to be made for the, that the Suns should have done it, but mm-hmm. I, I also can understand why they didn't pull the trigger. No, and you see, this is why I love having perspective on here because, like, I would have went on my rant and been done with it. Horrible move. They shouldn't have done it. Like, like sign the man, give him what he wants. But like having had that, that perspective as well and taking that more into consideration, it does make sense. And yes, like you've obviously kind of agree with me in the points that it could potentially make in terms of not being successful for Phoenix, but also that, you know, they are being relatively smart when it comes to that. Yeah. And, you know, they, they might also be in a position where similar to Milwaukee, where, they uh, they think the time to win is now with with Chris Paul still playing pretty well mm-hmm. and maybe five years down the line they're not uh, they're not as as concerned about that in the moment so um, you know if that means they don't want to overpay or, or pay Aiton the max deal in years four or five because they think that's an overpay they would rather spend that money elsewhere or utilize some trade assets to get in a different number two around a Devin Booker, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's their prerogative, but uh, yeah. it, it, it is a very interesting decision and it is interesting how, how much drama it has caused behind the scenes and how obviously unhappy it seems that uh, DeAndre Ayton is with the situation. 
Yeah, exactly. I think it's something to monitor for sure. One of the many storylines we have in this NBA season, but from an extension side, always intriguing because you don't really see it often. I think this is now the second first round, first overall pick who has not been extended by a team. Um, we're looking at what Anthony Bennett in 2013. Yeah, yes. Anthony Bennett in 2013. Like that's, that's, that's wild to me, especially since all due respect to Anthony Bennett, but DeAndre Ayton is no Anthony Bennett. So it's just kind of funny to kind of have that. You know what I mean? Uh, that that precedent kind of being established there. But yeah, man, this, wow. This has been a packed episode. Uh, I I thank you, uh, Garrett, for hopping on here and not only just giving a little recap of the season, not a recap, but just kind of a, a catch of what we've had in terms of observations, but then also kind of going a little bit with these uh, extensions and just talking about some of the value for some of them. This is appreciated, man. Absolutely. It was a blast. And I know going in, we uh, like with uh, when we do our episodes on Duncan Dynasty, we, we initially came in thinking this was going to be short and it absolutely was not. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I'm glad you said I wasn't going to say it in my head. I was like another classic episode of like, we'll do a quick 45 minute episode and we're well over an hour strong. I mean, we might even be uh, venturing into farther, deeper territory. But guess what? Listen, it's all that means that you have so much more content to enjoy on your Tuesday morning. So definitely check out Garrett. Um, listen, Garrett, let people know where they can find not only your tremendous basketball takes, um, even if I mean I agree with all of them, they are tremendous, but like I can absolutely agree and also concur they're tremendous is your movie and just regular media takes. Let them let, let the folks know where they can find this. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. That's a Garrett with two R's and two T's, Bougay, B-U-G-A-Y. And uh, yeah, I, I post uh, my thoughts on basketball, film, TV, uh, the Barclays Premier League, all of that's on there. You can find it. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, I, I already brought up, but uh, my podcast uh, that uh, Corbin joins me with a lot of the time and is my co-host, Duncan Dynasty. You can find that uh, wherever you uh, get your podcasts. And I've also, Corbin, I'm, I'm sure you'll be excited to hear this, but uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a movie and, and, and television blog that I uh, do like year-end lists uh, and, and, and put out stuff there. I'm actually going to, uh, I've got the, the NBA writing bug again, and I'm thinking about putting a few of, uh, a few of my thoughts about the, the, the early NBA season up on that blog as well, which I'll obviously post on, on Twitter as well. When, when the, those come out. Listen, Garrett, my friend, that is music to my ears. I am as much a fan of your written work as I am of just your general NBA podcasting. I can't wait to dig into that. It's literally, we need, more of that writing out here so please unleash it and also i've said this before but i'm just gonna say on the air to hold me accountable i need to get those uh, additional horror movie takes it's, it's halloween time i need to know what to watch what not to watch i've been doing trial and error on the shutter app <laughs> yeah shutter is is becoming an excellent service isn't it i feel like every, yes got some pretty darn good uh, darn good releases yes and i am impressed with the fact that it's it, it expands regions you know yeah, I, um, I, I watched a couple of movies on, on Shudder recently. One was called Vicious Fun, uh, which uh, is about a, a, a group of uh, a woman that decides to take on a group of assassins and, and try to kill them all. That was, uh, I mean, as the title suggests, it was very fun. That's uh, true. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, um, another one on there called Drunk Bus that was really, really fun um they're they they've got a, a lot of good movies on there and uh it's it's been something that I, it's obviously something i'll i'll make note of when i do my end of the year movie list i i watch plenty of horror throughout the year well i love it man definitely 
feel free to give me any tidbits and, and recommendations more than the ones you just give me today. But thank you again, Gary, for hopping on, my friend. I do appreciate you. Um, and listen, listeners, I appreciate y'all as well. Uh, please continue to just, if you can, uh, give it a rate, you know, give it a review. I love the feedback. Let me know where I can get better. Um, let me know what I'm doing well. You know, everyone loves hearing their gratification and I am no different. So definitely make sure to check me out on Twitter at CorbinMBA, HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBall, tweets online, hoop-ball.com, Manscaped. There's a code, NBA's back, so is Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code HoopBall20. That's H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 for that 20% off plus free shipping with the code HoopBall20. Um, so listen, y'all. Um, Till next time. For Garrett, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all tomorrow. All right, y'all.